The scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, or then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out, cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. This is the word of the Lord. 
awesome. Thanks, Laura. Uh, I made a, uh, a clerical error on the bulletin that that was Daniel chapter 6, not Daniel chapter 1. So uh, apologies uh, for the error, but 6 rather than 1. I know everyone was freaking out about that, but there you go. Um, I recently came across this um, movie. I heard of this movie recently called Velocipastor, which uh, is a real movie. It's out there. Um, and it's one of these, it's one of these low-budget, just absurdly over-the-top, you know, it's one of these movies that's just trying so hard to be bad that it actually becomes good and, and popular. And, you know, there's, there's, there's tons of these out there now. This is like a thing. And, uh, like, you remember Sharknado from a few years ago, the tornado made up of sharks. And um, I also came across one called Zombievers, which is about a group of people that go camping in the woods one weekend and they get attacked by <laughs> zombified beavers. There's um, Sharktopus. There's a lot of shark themes, you know, a lot of shark-related things in these movies. Uh, there's Piranaconda, an anaconda with a piranha head on it. I mean, it's like you can't make this stuff up, but it's real. It's out there. And, uh, but um, Velocipastor, I didn't watch it, um, but from what I can tell from the trailer, it's about a priest who gets bitten by a velociraptor and has kind of like a Spider-Man reaction where now he has superhuman dinosaur powers and he uses his superhuman velociraptor powers to go fight ninjas who are selling cocaine and um, <laughs> that's the plot and um, in fact I talked to somebody at the, the service la, la, the nine o'clock service who had seen it and he says yeah that, that was the plot so I, was like, I had one person who has seen this um, and, and you know, it reminded me a couple of months ago uh, I had a student in our youth group come up to me and say, you know, I know you preach on Sunday mornings, but like, what do you do the rest of the week? What do you do all week? I was like, well, now you know. I, uh, I fight ninjas, selling cocaine. Um, but you know, you, you hear these movies, you hear these stories, and you're like, okay, it is so over the top. It is so outlandish. This is not art. This is not saying anything about the world. This is not telling us anything about life. It's just clickbait. It's just, it's over, it's so absurd. And I bring that up because what we've been doing this summer is we're reading through, looking at these famous stories in the Bible. These, the, what we're calling the Bible's greatest hits. Stories like David and Goliath and Noah and the ark and Adam and Eve and Jonah and the fish. And you know, you, you hear these stories and it's, it's really easy when you read these stories to kind of have a similar reaction, just a little bit of an eye roll of like, okay, this, this is so outlandish. We know this didn't happen. This can't be true. This is so, like, we, it's, it's easy to dismiss these stories as being just kind of like a joke. It's like Sharknado. These are, it's a joke. And if that's where you're tempted to go, I, I want to caution you from landing there for this reason. One is uh, these stories have uh, been around for literally thousands of years, that human beings have continued to read these stories and talk about these stories and come back to these stories and, and tell these stories over and over and over and over and over across cultures for literally thousands of years. Nobody's going to be talking about Velocipastor in 100 years from now. They probably won't be talking about Velocipastor again after I finish this sentence. But, but they will be talking about Daniel in the lion's den in 100 years from now. 
they will continue, humanity will continue to tell these stories, which shows you if these stories have such staying power, if, if they have lasted this long, they're tapping into something. They, they, are, they are offering us something profound about the human experience. And, and this story that Laura just graciously read for us is, I think, in a sense, a picture of what the life of faith actually looks like. And I know that not everybody in this room would say that they trust in God or maybe even believe in the existence of God. But I think this story is helpful for all of us because regardless of where you are with faith stuff and and what you think about God in general, but um, this story is helpful because it blows up our categories. It blows up our assumptions. It shows you that a life of faith is, is actually quite different than what you might think it to be. And so I want to show you that from this story, uh, three things about what faith isn't. First, I want you to see that faith in God, trusting God, faith in God will not make your life easier. Secondly, faith is not heroic. And third, faith will not disappoint. So that's where we're going, those three big ideas. Let's look at the first one. Uh, Faith will not make your life easier. And here's what I mean by that. I I know we're kind of uh, airdropping into the middle of the story, but let's get our bearings real quick. Daniel was uh, an Israelite. He grew up in Jerusalem. He was a Jewish man. And, but the story takes place in a foreign country. It takes place in Persia. And the reason why that is is because when Daniel was a young teenager, he was uh, essentially kidnapped. He, you know, this, this foreign army came in and, and exiled a bunch of people from Judah, from Jerusalem, from Israel to uh, a foreign country. And now he's there. He's 70 or 80 years old at this point in the story. And you can see from verse 2 that he's one of the uh, top three high officials of the empire. He's worked his way up. He's very high up politically. He's one of the, the kings. He's, he's in the king's inner circle, one of the top three uh, you know, top dogs for the king. And what these guys did was they collected taxes. And the king thinks that Daniel's done such an amazing job. You can see in verse 3, he wants to promote Daniel up even another rung. Daniel's awesome. And it says why. It says in verse 3, it was because an excellent spirit was in him, which is another way of saying he had a wonderful gift for administration. He was incredibly, incredibly productive. He brought in the most amount of money for the kingdom. And the reason why was because when these three guys collected money, the other two guys, when the money was coming in, it was just kind of part of the deal that you would just skim some off the top for yourself. You know, you got the cash register. Before you turn it in, you maybe help yourself to a little bit before you turn it in. But Daniel trusted in God. It says a couple times in this passage, he served God continually. And out of obedience to God, he didn't do that. He wanted to work faithfully with integrity and he wanted to be honest. And so at the end of the day, when they turned in all their cash registers, Daniel turned in more money. And the king sees this and says, this dude's awesome. He needs to be promoted. But when he does that, the other two guys that don't get promoted, they get jealous. That's, you know, professional you know, funky power dynamics that just got created. And so they did what we tend to do in modern politics. They said, we got to dig up some dirt on this guy and bring Daniel down. And so they go looking for the skeletons in Daniel's closet. 
They go back through his uh, Twitter account and his Facebook account from you know whatever the ancient version of that was, and you know they go back ten years to see did he post anything that's controversial, did he vote in any controversial you know uh, votes that were that you know let's let's see how he voted on some of these issues. Uh, you know they try to dig up dirt, they try to find out his secrets, and it says in verse um, four they couldn't find anything on him. Dude was squeaky clean. And so they said, okay, we know how to bring him down. We know that he trusts in God. He's, he's faithful. He has this religious thing going. So they go to the king and they say, king, I think it would be really awesome if you passed a law that said anybody that prays to another God or anybody else other than you for the next 30 days gets executed. And the king, that kind of strokes his ego. Yeah, it'd be amazing if everyone prayed to me exclusively. So he says, yeah, and he signs the document and passes the law. So you think about that as somebody who's a, a praying person just got told by their local government that is now illegal upon the threat of death. So life just got way more challenging for Daniel. Life just got way more complicated and a lot harder why were his co-workers trying to murder him? Here's why. For doing his job. For being honest. For, for trying to do his work with integrity. Which shows you, here's a man who is trusting in God. He's trying to be obedient to God. And that obedience is actually making his life harder, not easier. And the principle that I want you to see there is that that's what faith in God often leads to trusting your life to God, determining that you're going to walk in his ways and obey him does not often make life easier. In fact, it's the opposite. It often makes life a lot more complicated and a lot harder. You know, this is a, um, <clears throat> this is a hard reality that a lot of Christians do not really want to believe or embrace. And so the church has said things like, if you just believe in God, if you, if you totally surrender yourself to him, if you, if you believe in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he will heal all of your medical issues. He'll fix all of your problems. He will, he will bless you with finances, and he'll pull you out of debt. You'll be able to afford the Tesla. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and, and, and other parts of the church have said the same thing, but with you know, making it a lot more therapeutic. If you just believe in God, if you just totally surrender over to Jesus, uh, you will be uh, completely fulfilled. You'll be completely internally, existentially satisfied. You'll never experience anxiety or depression again. It's just, it's just the rest of your life, spiritual groovy vibes from here on out. Which, you know, when, when, you, when you hear that sales pitch, you're like, yeah, that's, I don't know if I believe it, but that's an, attract, that's a, an attractive offer. The problem with that offer is when you compare it to Jesus' sales pitch. And Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, you want to trust in me, you want to believe in me, you want to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, which is another way of saying, if you want to, you want to hang out with me, you want to follow me, well, come and die. He also said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him sell all of his possessions, sell all of their possessions and give it to the poor. He said, if you want to uh, follow me, you want to you be on Team Jesus, uh, the world is going to hate you. He said, the world hated me and they murdered me. And guess what? A, a servant is not 
greater than their master. So if I'm your master and that's how they treated me, how do you think they're going to treat you? In fact, uh, Paul himself in Philippians chapter 1 says, it, it has been granted to you not only to believe in the Lord Jesus, but also to suffer. It's what happens when you sync up with Jesus. When you put your trust and your faith in the God of the Bible, in Jesus himself, you're signing up for suffering, you're signing up for sacrifice, you're signing up for persecution. In fact, I don't know if you know this, we just sang the song called, uh, Jesus I My Cross Have Taken. And there's a, a, a part of that song that I, anytime we sing it in a church or in a group or whatever, I always just kind of like look around the room and think, do people know what we're actually saying right now? Do you know what, we, you, know what you just said? You just said, go then, earthly fame and treasure, come disaster, scorn, and pain. That's a crazy thing to, that's a crazy thing you just said. But what you just said or what we're saying is, Jesus, what I don't want is earthly fame and notoriety and celebrity and public acclaim. I don't want earthly treasure. I don't want riches. What I want is disaster, scorn, and pain. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote, he says, I didn't come to Christianity to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port could do that. If you want a religion to make you comfortable, I don't recommend Christianity. So you see how this kind of bl this blows up our categories? That when you put your faith in God, that, that is not exempting you from suffering. It's enlisting you into suffering. It doesn't make your life easier. In fact, in many ways, it makes your life a lot harder. So what's the second thing that we understand and what we learn about faith? We also learn faith uh, is not heroic. It's not heroic. Go back to the story. Here's this law that was just uh, passed. Nobody can pray to anything other than King Darius. And Daniel finds out about this. And what does he do? Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And here's the, here's the best part as he had done previously, which means he just did what he's always done. He just prayed. He didn't, he didn't go to his house and pray as a defiant spectacle. He didn't open up the doors and tell everybody what he was doing. This was not a public protest. He just went home and prayed like he always had done, even though the world told him this is now illegal. What you see is somebody who is just being faithful in the little things of life, not in these big heroic conquesty moments. It's he goes to work and he's honest even when it gets him in hot water. He prays even though the world tells him he shouldn't. And what I want you to see is that, that faith is not most often expressed in these big heroic moments. Faith is just showing up and being faithful in the little things of life the little normal day-in and day-out things. I, I should, to be fair, there are moments that do call for real, risky, heroic acts of faith. You think about people like Martin Luther King Jr., whose faith really drove him to some sacrificial, risky, heroic things as he's facing and trying to take on racial injustice. 
You think about John Newton, who's trying to take down the slave trade in England, who's, who's driven by his faith to do really amazing heroic things. You think about uh, Martin Luther, who's, who's, you know, in the Reformation is trying to take on the corruption that he sees in the church. And you think about Elizabeth Elliot and John Perkins and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and all of these people, these, these kind of heroes who do these big heroic stuff. But my point is, most of us don't live in these moments that call for history-altering, life-shaking acts of heroism. Real faith is just showing up. You know, we read this book um, this summer as a church by Alan Noble. It's a great short little book. Hopefully you read it. Some of y'all read it. Called On Getting Out of Bed. And one of the simple and brilliant points that he makes in that book is that sometimes the most faithful thing that you can do as someone who trusts in God is just get out of bed in the morning. Which for some of us, I know, may be an act of heroism. It feels impossible. But this idea of, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get dressed, I'm going to feed my family, I'm going to go to work. That's faith. That's what faith looks like. Um, Ricky Jones, who's a friend of mine, pastor out in Oklahoma, helped me a lot with this passage. Uh, He said, you know who the most, uh, who the heroes of the church are? This is Ricky, speak, Ricky speaking, but he says, the heroes of the church are not the people that you think. It's not the big celebrity pastors or the missionaries or whatever. He says, the heroes of the church are the moms who sing Jesus loves me to their kids. He says, that's the reason why probably any of us are in the church in the first place. It's not because we went to some conference or had some life-altering event. It was because our, our mom or our dad sang over us or prayed over us. So that's what I want you to see is that faith is, faith is just doing these faithful, simple little things like singing over your kids, praying with the people that you live with, showing up to work, coming home from work at the end of the day, being with your family, uh, checking on your neighbors when the storms blow through, uh, going to class. These simple, faithful tasks, praying as he had always prayed. Asking somebody forgiveness when you know that you've hurt them. Now, if you're here and you're thinking, okay, I don't have faith in God. I don't really (laughs) would say I don't even know if I believe in his existence. But um, this is not a great um, advertisement to want to sign up for this. Uh, You're telling me in point one, if I do this, it's going to make my life a lot harder, not easier. And if I do this, um, it's not really all that exciting. It's kind of like just showing up and going to work. So why, why would anyone trust in the God of the Bible? Well, I want you to see uh, the third thing, that faith will not disappoint. Faith in God will not disappoint. And here's how the story ends. Um, uh, look at what happens. Verse 11, these guys who have cooked up this plot, they see Daniel praying as they knew he was going to do. And they, you know, he's busted. We caught you. And they go and they tell the king, by the way, your boy Daniel was just praying. Now, Darius, the king, doesn't want to kill Daniel. He's his right-hand man. He's awesome. He wants to promote him. But his hands are tied because he just signed this bill. And so you can see in the story, he tries to figure out, how do I get out from under this law that I just passed? You know, he goes and he talks to the Persian lawyers to see if there's a loophole, if there's some way that Daniel can slide by on a technicality. But they're like, nope, this is the deal. You sign the deal, 
we got to kill this dude. So very reluctantly, the king says, okay, we got to throw him into this lion's den, which was essentially this pit in the ground or maybe like a cave that was hollowed out of the uh, side of a hill or something. And uh, they would put a group of hungry lions in there and throw people in there as a form of execution. You know, this is like ancient, barbaric, crazy ways of executing people. But that's what they would do. And they'd throw people in these lion's den, and then they'd seal a boulder, seal a big stone over the entrance of where it was to lock them in. And they throw Daniel in there, and the king is all anxious, and he's freaking out, and he goes home, and he's tossing and turning. He can't sleep. He's anxious about it because he doesn't want Daniel to die. And he, the moment that the sun comes up in the morning, he runs over to the, to the den, and he shouts in. He says, Daniel, are you still alive? Are you in there? And you can see in verse um, 21, uh, Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever, which was a, a way that you address royalty, which I think it's hilarious that even in this moment, he's still being polite. He's still, you know, he's still following the manners. King, live forever. Yes, I did survive when you threw me in here. And uh, the king is elated. He's ecstatic. He's, he's saved. Daniel gets pulled out of the lands. And it's this miracle of all miracles. And the rest of the story, which we didn't include, is, is pretty amazing what happens next. But why was Daniel spared? Why was Daniel delivered? And you find out very, at the very end, very last verse, it says, because he had trusted in his God. Now, if you're hearing all this and putting all this together, you're thinking, okay, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You just told me if you trust in God, it's going to make your life harder. You're signing up for suffering, disaster, scorn, and pain. But now it seems to be saying, if you trust in God, he's going to deliver you from suffering. You'll, you, you'll be able to be thrown into the Daniel's den or the, the lion's den, and you'll, you'll come out unscathed. Does trusting in God deliver you from suffering or not? To answer that question, the only real way to answer that question is that you have to see the greater and the better Daniel that this story is pointing towards. If you look at the story of Jesus and you overlay the story of Daniel on top of it, it is, it is glaringly obvious how many connections there are, that the author, the, the, the genius of the Bible is wanting you to see that there is another story behind the story that this one is pointing towards. Think about this. Just like Daniel, Jesus found himself living in a foreign land, a hostile land. Just like Daniel, Jesus was completely innocent the Bible says he was, he was sinless. He committed no wrong. He perfectly loved God, and he perfectly loved his neighbor. He never fell into temptation once, and yet he was hated for it. Everybody trumped up all these false charges and false accusations against him. Just like Daniel, Jesus is brought before a king, brought before a, a ruler who doesn't want to execute him but feels like his hands are tied. Pontius Pilate is... He says to the crowds, uh, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. And yet the crowds are saying, crucify him, kill this dude. And he just reluctantly gives in. Just like Daniel, the full force of justice falls on Jesus. He's uh, handed over to executioners. He's nailed to a cross. He's beaten. He's, he's lifted up. And as he's bleeding and, and gasping and, and dying, he, he quotes this psalm, Psalm 22. He cries out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
which is showing you in that moment he's experiencing the cosmic abandonment of God. He's experiencing the cosmic justice of God. And amazing, a few verses later in Psalm 22, it says this, deliver my soul from the sword, save me from the mouth of the lion. Psalm 22, connection to the cross, shows you that what Jesus is experiencing on the cross is is not just physical pain. He's experiencing the ultimate lions, the real lions of the justice and the wrath and the ultimate abandonment and the death of God. And he's not delivered. He is ripped to pieces by the lions. He's ripped to shreds on the cross. And just like Daniel, Jesus is thrown into a den. He's thrown into a tomb, and there's a big stone that gets rolled over the mouth of it so that nobody can steal the body. And just like Daniel, after a little bit of time passes, the shocker of all shocker is that this person who is supposed to be dead is alive. That Jesus doesn't just shut the mouths of the ultimate lions, he shuts the mouth of death itself. When you see these stories overlaid on top of each other, this shows you that Jesus is the the real Daniel that you and I need. He's the true deliverer because what it shows you is that here is somebody that has come on our behalf and he wasn't delivered so that we might be in an ultimate sense. He experienced the ultimate form of death so that you and I, when we trust in him, we never will. This This is a hope. When you put your faith in this God, this Jesus, this does not mean all your problems will be fixed. This doesn't mean that all your medical concerns will be dealt with, that you'll be happy, wealthy, and healthy and wise for the rest of your life. What it means is that as you suffer in this life, this God will be with you, and you will be delivered from death itself. That there is a hope that transcends all of our struggles, all of our burdens, all of our pain, all of our, all the things that we carry in this life. There's this amazing passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul starts writing out, listing out all the things that he has experienced as somebody who's a follower of Jesus. He says, I've been imprisoned, I've been starved, I've been beaten, I've been tortured. And then he says this in verse 10. It's insane. Here's what he says. We are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. We have nothing, yet possess everything. Now, how can you be sorrowful and rejoicing in the same moment? How can you have nothing and yet have everything? It's because he had Jesus. When you have Jesus, this means you can be stripped of everything. You can lose everything and yet at the same time have everything because you have the ultimate thing that ultimately really matters. If you have Jesus and you are experiencing crushing loneliness, this means that there is a day coming when you will experience the intimacy that you crave. If you have Jesus and you experience crushing, devastating pain and loss, there is a day coming when you will experience comfort. If you, are, if you have Jesus and you are experiencing oppression, there is a day coming when you'll experience justice, which means in the end, it will all be worth it. 
you lose nothing. You miss out on nothing. You can go through this life and be stripped of all of your resources, your, the, the breath from your own lungs. You can be stripped of your very life, come disaster, scorn, and pain. You can experience all of that and rejoice because you get it all back tenfold, hundredfold. All death can do for you if you are in Jesus is drive you directly into his arms. That is a hope that will not disappoint you even though you experience the crosses of this life. That is a faith that will not disappoint though it will lead to disaster, scorn, and pain in this life. That is a hard sell and that's a big ask and that's a big invitation but the invitation is before you this morning to trust in Jesus who is your deliverer. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that even as we hear these things, hard things, heavy things, that you would give us faith. For some of us, faith feels impossible. Faith feels like there's so many roadblocks inside of us to get there. Uh, We want this to be true, but yet we're convinced it's not. And so, Father, I pray that you would even now start to open up our hearts, open up our minds. Uh, we, We can't manufacture faith like this. Father, for those of us who do trust you, for those of us who do um, give our lives to you, I pray that you would comfort us with the knowledge of the hope that is ours, a living hope that transcends all the suffering and the pain of this life, that our very souls might be anchored to the life to come, the kingdom to come, given to us in Jesus, our deliverer and our king. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.